Sir Balper, the team of Brass, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. It's his weekly Monday appearance. His managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, and what follows, as is the case every week in this edition of Fangraphs Audio, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball of particular note. This week, of course, the American and National League Championship Series discussed in what follows. Jake Peavy throwing a fastball after seemingly announcing that he would throw a fastball to Matt Carpenter. The Kansas City Royals and their very optimistic steamer projections, which rate them, it appears, as the fourth best team in all the major leagues. And finally, apropos of something, is this anecdote, courtesy Dave Cameron. I do remember from childhood a story of Ray Quinones, who was a shortstop for the Mariners in the 80s and not good. Uh was apparently not starting one day, and uh, the manager called for him to pinch hit, uh, and they couldn't find him because he was playing Nintendo in the clubhouse. It's It does feature managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Feeling good? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You want to talk about the baseballs? Uh, sure. They're around. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're, yeah. There are fewer of them around. Fewer of them around than there have been earlier in the season. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. You probably need more baseballs to play regular seasons than in postseason. So mm-hmm. there probably are fewer baseballs now. How many baseball? Actually, how many baseballs per game on average? Do you have that number? I think it's twenty something, thirty somewhere in there. Yeah. I, uh, I now that seems that seems low now that I say it. I yeah. feel like that number's in my head somewhere, but now I think about all the foul balls. That's got to be really low. It's got to be in the hundreds. Hundreds, you think? I mean, you think like what? Both both teams throw on average three hundred pitches total. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. So right, so you get you know probably not one every other pitch. Maybe I don't know seventy five or something. What's, uh, the, what's I, the typical foul foul rate? Foul per pitch, I don't know. Mm. Foul rate per swing, I think, is like probably close to 30% or so. Okay. And if uh, swing rate's about 50%, does that sound right? Yeah, 45, somewhere in there. Okay, so about 15% foul ball rate, approximately. Right. So, you know, assume you don't get any of the foul balls back, and then you swap out some balls that uh, get put in play, uh, and then, you know, ones that get thrown in the dirt that the catcher decides are too scuffed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing... Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go north of 50. I'm revising from my original 20 or 30 that was in my head. What do you think is the, what do you think is the average number of pitches for which a ball stays in play? I would guess less than five. Less than five, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe less than three. I would think we're go well. We have new pitches, uh, new baseballs pretty frequently. This would be like a really good thing to ask Brandon McCarthy on Twitter. Oh yeah. Maybe you should do that now, and then he will answer by the time we're done podcasting. I probably won't do that. Also, he probably wouldn't respond to me. But if we get Jeff to do it, then maybe. maybe yeah, he does like Jeff a lot. Yeah, he does. He does yeah. seem to like Jeff. Well, everyone has flaws. Uh, yeah, that's a weird segue. <laughs> no, no it's just, just saying sometimes liking Jeff Sullivan. I mean, some oh, that's not like a his... flaw. Jeff Sullivan's awesome. Blah. Not not liking Jeff Sullivan is a flaw. Blah. <laughs> no, I find uh, Jeff. Unbearably nice, which is a big problem. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, oh, so in last night's game between the Giants and Cardinals, 
Jake P. This was covered during the game, but I'm curious about how um, your reaction to it. Jake P. V. announced that he was going to pitch a fastball um, to his catcher, and then he did he did throw a fastball, and Matt Carpenter homered off of it. Um, uh, what is it? Do you agree with that series of events? Uh, I don't think he like he didn't tell Matt Carpenter like with a bullhorn. No, but he he said he mouthed the word fastball. Right, I must have missed that. Oh, well, well, here's the here's the question. Yeah, he did say you could see him clearly mouth the word fastball huh. to Buster Posey. He threw the fastball to Matt Carpenter, and uh, Matt Carpenter hit a home run. This is what I get for trying to work and watch the game at the same time. Yeah, because I have apparently missed a key key point of the game. Right. Well, you you can watch it afterwards. But here's the point. No, and right, it was it was subtle when it happened, and I mostly saw it because I went back to like the. Uh, you know, like the MLB.com videos that are available through the app yeah. through the app yeah. thing, and yeah. um, they they made a point of it during uh, during that websites they do the game the game recap essentially they made a they had this slow motion footage of it. But it. I guess my question is first um, that that moment with PV aside, what how often is it that you have noticed previously where a pitcher will say what he's going to throw? Um, uh, never. I don't yeah. think I, I've ever heard of this. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. peculiar, yeah? It seems like, uh, not good strategy. No, it doesn't the, seem like good strategy. I mean, although you could say there's a game theory thing in here, right? Where maybe Matt Carpenter doesn't believe that Jake Peavy would actually do this, so he's not going to give any credit to the word. Like, if you, if you have no credibility that your opponent is going to tell you what kind of pitch he's going to throw, then it doesn't matter what he says. It only matters what Matt Carpenter thinks he believes. And if Matt Carpenter is like, well, that's a lie, uh, then maybe he didn't change his approach at all. Oh, this is, uh, there is a sort of classic game theory, uh, exercise, right? Where if you both agree, if you, if you both say to share, then you could share it, but if one right. of you says it's you want all of it. Splitter steel, splitter steel, yeah. Yeah, splitter steel, right. Yeah. And what do people generally do in that? Or is uh, it cultural? Yeah, I mean, I think it probably depends on the people. I think generally they share. I think, uh, you know, there's game shows that have been based on this idea, and it's kind of a uh, an economics uh, class experiment that is uh, frequented in college. And so I think when we did it in my classes, I remember most people sharing because no one really wants to be seen as the bad guy. It's like almost like a peer pressure uh, reputation saver <laughs> to, not, to not steal. In a competition where, you know, there's nothing wrong with being the guy who wins. Uh, I wonder if that changes the calculations at all, if you're not seen as the bad guy for stealing. Right. In this case, you'd be seen as crafty, right? Which I think would, people assume... You'd be JPV. lauded by your own fans. And right. the other fans aren't going to hold it against you. They know what you're trying to do. You're trying to beat them. Right. I wonder, because when Jake Peavy, Jake Peavy is a veteran, I think yeah, his correct. grizzled nature has been uh, celebrated on more than one occasion. Yeah. His, if Jake Peavy just says fastball, if you were the batter, what, are, what would you say are the odds of him throwing a fastball after that? Or have they affected your, your, uh, what you would consider the odds at all? Yeah, I don't think I would put any credibility in the other team telling me what's going to happen. I, I think like you could almost make an argument that I would think it's less likely that I'm going to get a fastball because I would not think that the opposing team was stupid enough to telegraph what they were about to do. Um, you know, I guess like uh, the analog in football might be, right, where if you're, like, uh, calling out plays, even not in, like, the NFL where they're using code, but, like, you know, in your backyard or something, whenever we've played, you know, f- tackle football with friends, it's always, you know, you're like, 
spreading out three receivers wide, and you're like, okay, go long, and then you do a handoff, right? So right. we've been kind of trained to think that whatever we hear, the opposite is probably more likely. Right. The the um, Now, if Lance Lynn said he was going to throw a fastball... You should believe him. You should believe him because... He, that's all he does. Yeah, that's all he does. Yeah. Um, that, that was... Uh, I, I guess I hadn't realized before last night's game... Precisely how many fastballs he threw this year, but it, and as I believe Tom Verducci said during the broadcast, um, so credit to Tom Verducci who was using nerd, uh, or, I mean facts, but yeah. they, 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 I don't they, think nerds can claim that uh, <laughs> percentage of pitch types is one of our stats. That's just basic information. That, that is basic information, but yeah. you don't hear it a lot necessarily. I, I mean, I think over the last few years, I've seen that pretty regularly on broadcasts. More, more like, it's a pretty normal normal thing, I right. think. All right. Uh, in any case, um, right, if Lance Lynn told you that he was going for a fastball, he'd probably be telling you the truth. He, uh, he seems to have gotten away with it largely this year in terms of, at least in terms of run prevention. His peripheral numbers are not as good, and they've gotten uh, a little bit worse each of the, each of the years he's pitched. Um, you, you did sort of in your or in your post that you uh, published today regarding whether or not Lance Lynn, whether the Cardinals should have allowed him to hit. Yeah. Uh, you did make a, a sort of an aside regarding Lance Lynn's performance as a pitcher and trying yeah, I mean, to estimate his true talent. It's pretty. It's interesting because you know by ERA, Lynn had the best year of his career, and his career ERA is actually pretty solid. But the steamer reduction kind of hates him. Uh, I think it's a full run higher than what his ERA was this year, and like the half of a run or you know a quarter of a run higher than his career ERA. When normally you see a guy kind of in his prime, I think Lynn's 28 or so, who has a career ERA of 3.4, you wouldn't expect the projection. And his peripherals are better. Like he's generally underperformed his FIP. Uh, his ERA is actually higher than that. You wouldn't look at the him and say, oh, this is a guy who's going to get worse next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think that was a, an aside essentially because I didn't want to si- turn the post into a discussion of Lance Lynn's ability as much as I wanted it to be a discussion of whether you should let a pitcher, uh, whether Lance Lynn or another one hit in that situation. Yeah. In that post, uh, that we're discussing, you, um, to, to, so far as I could tell, you really, really covered all of the possible scenarios. I mean, I, I ended up writing 2,000 words on, <laughs> on uh, <laughs> one plate one, appearance. One appearance that was, you know, this is the kind of thing that's a little bit of a uh, just a, a thought exercise because mm-hmm. there's basically no manager in baseball would pinch hit for his pitcher in the fourth inning of a shutout, uh, especially with a lead. Uh, and I think, you know, we're probably a pretty long way away from managers being willing to be this aggressive. But I think the math does show that it's generally the right call is, the best way to protect a small lead is to turn it into a big lead. And if you have your pitcher at the plate with the bases loaded and one out, this is a great opportunity to blow the game open. Now, you said managers would not do that. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, first of all, do we have some uh, bathroom, um, some more work going on in the back here? No, this is the dog. Oh, that's the dog. Okay. The dog has stolen a hairbrush. Okay. The yeah. the um, um, managers... Uh, it, I, and I think you discussed this in a chat uh, not very long ago. It might have been one of the playoff chats. It might have been your normal Monday chat or whatever. Or no, whatever, whenever day you do that. Wednesdays? Wednesday chat? Yeah, Wednesdays. Wednesday chat. Yeah. The, someone had asked, uh, someone had, you know, made a point that uh, it's not uncommon, of course, for front offices to n- now to have embraced uh, analytics. And yet you don't see a lot of the principles that might be central in terms of on-field management uh, you don't you don't really see those um, at work 100% of the time. Uh, 
um, you don't see managers using using the optimal tech strategies. I think you suggested though that um, that's the thing that that will happen. It's just slow to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be one of those things that is not going to happen quickly. Yeah, like you know, even the most progressive uh, front offices who are using the most amount of uh, analytical data are not pinch hitting for their pitcher in the fourth inning. Uh, they're just not doing it. This is like a I think if Lynn was removed in that situation, he would have been angry. Like, you know, he's throwing shutout innings in the playoffs. This is probably, you know, the kind of start he's dreamed of his entire life is, you know, a chance to bring his team back to a tie game in the NLCS. Uh, you know, maybe he thought about it as the World Series as a kid, but this was his chance to really make a name on his big stage. He's pitching really well. His pitch count was low. Uh, for him to be removed from the situation is not something that he would have just been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So it takes a decent amount of managerial credibility or personal management skills in order to get the players on board with that kind of strategy, especially if, you know, Oscar Tavares, who didn't hit well at all this year, is a 22-year-old rookie who apparently is not super well-liked by his teammates in regards to his work ethic. If he would have come in and hit into a double play, and then Seth Manis or Randy Choate or Marco Gonzalez or whoever came in and immediately given up the lead, Matheny would have been crucified. Mm -hmm. So there was a significant downside, at least in terms of perception which is one of the reasons why I think even the most aggressive managers probably would have shied away from uh, this strategy, even though it's mathematically correct. Right. Now, I assume that uh, either well, some combination of John Mazeliak and uh, other members of the Cardinals front office are aware of the, the optimal strategies, are aware of the sort of math um, that, you, that you conducted, that you demonstrated, would go into a decision like this. Um, so where where is that – Where at what point do they decide, despite the fact that this – on the one hand, this might be the optimal strategy in terms of, you know, exchange of runs. Uh, it's not the optimal strategy in terms of handling personalities. Well, I think that that's not really a decision that's made on a strategy basis. It's kind of a decision that's made on a who gets to make the decision basis. And major league teams still give – basically full autonomy to the manager to make in-game strategy decisions. He can get advice and support from the front office before the games, but it's his call. And uh, pretty much every manager in baseball is going to demand that kind of autonomy in order to take the position. You're not going to have uh, guys accepting a position where, you know, they have to run a, a decision by a GM in the middle of the game or, uh, you know, even after the game, if they get questioned on their decision, they want the ability to be able to be like, well, I made I made a gut call. This is what you pay me for. The job description of a major league manager to this point has basically been the guy to make those decisions, uh, and credit or blame is given to him based on whether they work or not. Now, it's not the best way to run things, likely. And and going forward, I wouldn't be surprised if we baseball maybe moves more towards a not a coordinator position where you have like you know, in the NFL you have an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator who call plays. I don't think we're gonna get that far in baseball, but I can see an alignment of the coaching staff to where maybe you have a strategy expert who's, uh, you know, well-versed on the analytics of these things, and, you know, at some point in the future, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a guy on the bench who wasn't necessarily the manager who was making suggestions, <laughs> and maybe uh, heavy suggestions based on the data and based on math, but we're not there yet, and I think we're probably a decent away, a decent, a decent ways away from getting away from the manager, just being able to do whatever he wants. Well, there, yeah, there must be, I mean, there's a generational aspect to it, right? Because as we've seen, there there do seem to be um, a number of players, active players or recently 
uh, retired players who demonstrate interest in this. But I'm curious, like if you know, if Gabe Kapler or C.J. Nikowski, who were the the uh, you know the former ball players during FS1's um, nerd nerd broadcast, their simulcast to the uh, the Saturday night game with the Giants and Cardinals. Um, if I mean, if one of them became manager, doesn't it seem like they they would be interested in having uh, real time access to that sort of information? Uh, yeah, I think I think the the current plan is that they get access to the information before the game, and it informs their overall strategy, and then they just mentally adjust as the game goes on. So it's not so much that these guys want a giant win expectancy table or a you know a computer which they're not allowed to have, but some kind of device in the in the dugout that gives them accessibility to see what the numbers are based on the situation updated in real time. It's that they want to be familiar with the concepts that the data teaches. Uh, so that they can then apply those when when they see the uh, opportunities present themselves. I think we're probably a decent, we're, we're probably uh, decades away. I think from uh, wholesale changes where it's not just the manager being the the sole voice or the lone decider, uh, and you know leaning on someone who maybe that's more of his specialty is the the run expectancy or the analytics of of an outcome uh, based on different. Opinions. You, you're not allowed to have a computer in the dugout. Yeah, no electronics at all. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the reason the the cell phone or the the bullpen phone is not a cell phone. <laughs> so no one's using iPhones to call down for your reliever uh, because you know there's a a ban on technology in the dugout. But some technology is allowed. I mean, books are a technology. They're just an old one, right? Right. right. So electronic technology. Electronic technology okay. not allowed. All right. And are you allowed to have in the bullpen? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think so. Is the bullpen? Uh, my, is the phone in the dugout allowed to call any other number besides the bullpen? I don't think that's actually like a keypad. I think it's just a hardwired line. Really? Like you just pick it up and then you know it rings on the other end. Now, what about going back into the clubhouse? Is there allowed to be? There must be a computer in the clubhouse because. Yeah, I mean, so like if I think if a manager wanted to between innings run down into the clubhouse and have a laptop set up in there, he probably would be allowed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know the specifics of uh, how that would be. Uh, what, if he just, what if he just wants to check his email? That's probably frowned upon. Yeah, it probably would yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say I do remember from childhood a story of Ray Quinones, who was a shortstop for the Mariners in the 80s and not good, uh, was apparently not starting one day. And uh, the manager called for him to pinch hit. Uh, and they couldn't find him because he was playing Nintendo in the clubhouse. So at, at the very minimum, there were video games and televisions allowed 20 years ago. Right. Uh, but I think that was uh, frowned upon as well. Yeah, that's almost what, – what year did you say? Uh, I don't know, mid-80s, 85, yeah, 86. You know, that's 30 years ago now almost, Cameron. Yeah. This is the original Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, you're getting old. Yeah. That's my yeah. point. My point uh, is you're getting old. Aren't you older than me? Yeah, I'm getting old too, but I'm just yeah. wanna, just trying to introduce you to the concept as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I you're, you're aware of it. Yeah. Um, wait, one last thing beside, uh, about the uh, announcing fastball. If if you if a batter knows what pitch is coming, how much better of a batter do you think that makes him? Significantly. Okay. I think yeah, knowing the. I mean, I think this is the basically the determinant behind the three-one count advantage, right? Like you know, the fastball is very likely to be coming, and hitters do so much better in that count because they don't have to watch for other pitches. It, it not in the not very distant past, there was uh, Chris Sale was very upset with uh, Victor Martinez in particular, but maybe other Tiger hitters. 
because uh, I think he was he was under the impression that they were stealing pitches, stealing signs, stealing yeah. signs, stealing right. the signs about the pitches. Um, so I guess he I guess what he he would realize, of course, that that, that would be of some value to them. But has any of those cases ever has there ever been proof that a team w- was stealing signs in recent I, years? I don't think so. Yeah, it's always uh, sus- there are always just suspicions. Yeah, it's usually a post hoc suggestion after a good pitcher struggles. <laughs> you say, oh, well, he, they must have stolen his signs because there's no other explanation. People don't like randomness. So. Right. Okay. Um, let's see. Do you, oh uh, now did you have the opportunity uh, because I didn't have the opportunity to watch the the nerd <laughs> okay <laughs> Liberty Liberty's very excited about a squeaky toy at the yeah. moment yeah maybe I will take myself upstairs the um is the nerd the nerd cast the uh, Rob Nyer at company yeah uh, so I don't have cable so oh. I didn't I did not get to watch the Fox Sports One uh, nerd cast because I I don't have cable. Well, I could t- I could report this, and this is less of a, this less concerns that particular simulcast than it does uh, people and uh, the the worst side of them is if you go to um, just a bit outside and you go to the post that um, I think served as a link maybe to to that feed somewhere. Um, there are 150 comments, and they all say the same thing, which is I hate this. Um, I hate this, and please just show the game. Right. But these are also my. This is there's a huge amount of selection bias here because it's also people who didn't know that if they just turned to Fox, they could watch the game. Right. I think that was the the differentiator that uh, I had someone text me during the game and asked me what I was thinking about it, and they were like, "Yeah, I just want to be able to watch the game." Mm-hmm. And then they figured out that they could on another channel, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's fine then." And so once they knew that. This was not the only broadcast of the game. They were fine with it. I do think even uh, watching reactions on Twitter and talking with some folks who tried out the Just a Bit Outside simulcast, the general reaction seemed to be that even the people who enjoyed the commentary and who are the target demographic could have used more of the game. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Now, did you did you occupy some sort? Did you play some sort of role during this? Uh, I was writing along with Jeff Sullivan, August Fegerstrom, and. Uh, drew fair service for the just outside, just a bit outside blog as we were providing content for their, for their site while the, their writers were on TV. They were occupied. Yeah. They were otherwise occupied. So Fangraphs took it over for, for the evening. Uh, not entirely. Mitchell Lickman, who's not a Fangraphs writer, but obviously provides a decent amount of data and has written for the site before, he also contributed. Uh, and then Sam Miller of our, Sworn enemy baseball perspectives. We oh, allowed yeah. him into the into the realm as well. And Sam's the uh, worst of all of them. I mean, you know, everyone hates Sam Miller. Oh He's god, can't jerk. find one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Sam's great, and Sam contributed as well. So it was the four of us, mostly Fangraphs, plus a Fangraphs data guy, uh, plus the enemy. Okay, plus the enemy. Yeah. yeah. Let's. Uh, uh, there have been. Uh, there typically are not, but there there were um, a couple of sort of newsworthy announcements made uh, over the last week during the playoffs. Um, one of them concerns Josh Beckett. Uh, it was brought to my attention that it, he he would not be included in the contract crowdsourcing. Right, because he retired. Yeah, he has no contract to crowdsource. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he's going to enter into a contract with his wife to do dishes or something. But. Yeah, that would be more of a – yeah, that's more of a household contract. Yeah. Less uh, – right. We'll not be employed by a major league team, as a player at least – Right. Um, was that surprising to you, or was it just a question of 
Because I, mean, I think he needed uh, labrum surgery, hip labrum yeah, surgery. Right. He's had a lot of injuries, and labrum surgery, even not on your shoulder, is you know a significant injury. Also, I think we can't underestimate the fact that Major League Baseball is implementing new pace of play rules, which Josh Beckett would have hated. <laughs> and maybe been the the maybe this is Major League Baseball forcing him to retire in mm-hmm. order to speed up the game. Like the instead of implementing a game clock, they just got rid of Josh Beckett. Yeah, he uh, he ended up well. He had a weird season, I guess. Uh, his uh, his uh, fielding independent numbers were not particularly good, but he prevented runs. So yeah, it worked out, I guess, for him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's a question. Because uh, some, sometimes players will retire, not unlike Josh Beckett just did, uh, because they have an injury from which they just feel the, they don't want to rehab from. Um, now, in the case of a torn hip labrum, do you think that Josh Beckett's going to get the surgery in the offseason anyway? Yeah, but I, mean, I don't think he's going to not rehab. I think he's realizing that this is probably going to prevent him from coming back at a quality that he needs Mm-hmm. In order to be a good major league pitcher, but I think he wants to walk again. So my guess is he's still going to rehab. Oh, it's that serious—the the torn labrum in your hip. It's not. No, it, no. I said, is it that serious? I think so. Okay. I mean, you know, it's a significant part of your joints, and uh, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing he's going to have the surgery, and he's probably going to rehab, and he's going to try and live a fairly normal life for Josh Beckett, which probably involves hunting. If you, if a pitcher, uh, if you say he tears his UCL. Um, if he decides he's going to retire, would he still get Tommy John surgery after that? Uh, that's a good question. I I think that the UCL is mostly just needed for throwing. Mm-hmm. So if he wants to play catch with his kids, then yes. Mm-hmm. But if he's just going to, you know, become a baseball writer, maybe not. No, okay. Yeah, I was. I just wonder, like um, procedures from which procedures from which a or that it would pl- a player, if he's retiring, would address and would not address? Because I assume there are certain procedures you're going to get so that you can prolong your career as a baseball player. And then there right. are other procedures which you're going to get because it's just a quality of life issue. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've never heard of anyone who's not a baseball player having hemate bone surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be the kind of thing that's like needed to swing a bat and have power. Yeah, but, but how not... many people do you know who've hurt their hamate bones? <laughs> other way? It's like the hamate. It's really, it's a baseball central thing. Right. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But maybe there's someone out there who's broken their handmade bone, not been a baseball player, and maybe they didn't have surgery. We can uh, speculate because we have no data. Speaking of um, uh, injuries... Having no data? Right, speaking of... Sure, fine. Um, the uh, uh, Yadi Molina hurt is oblique, which is usually... Uh, I don't know if... Well, that's usually... I guess it's rehab. Is there oblique surgery? No, I think that's usually rest. Okay, right. And so, uh, but that's usually, it takes a while to recover. Usually. It's not, it's not a short injury, yeah. So is he out then for the, the duration? Well, we don't, we don't know how severe it is. Okay. Uh, my guess would be he's not going to play tomorrow. Uh, and maybe he's out for the rest of the league championship series, but with a week or two off, maybe he could come back for the world series. Right. Um, I think we don't know. It's, but if it's a significant oblique strain, he's done. I mean, at least for this year. Right, right. Uh, which would be too bad for the, I, I don't, I mean, it just so happened that, what was it, the, literally the first pitch Carlos Martinez threw, um, after coming in in relief was also to, I think it was the first pitch Tony Cruz was assigned to catch. He did not catch it. Yeah, he didn't have a good game. No, he didn't a, have a good as game. As a replacement, yeah. Is there anything, we know that there's a penalty, like a, uh, an offensive penalty for a, a pinch hitter. 
is is there a, is there a defensive penalty for a, a a defensive replacement? I have never seen that studied or proven. I would not think so because I think defense is less uh, about reaction and timing than it is about uh physical skills mm-hmm. uh, but I, I could be wrong i w- i probably would not have thought of the pinch hitting penalty on my own if it had not been proven or at least uh suggested by people who had done it before and i've never heard anyone say man it's really hard to play defense after getting put in the seventh inning yeah okay so. um yeah and then uh also uh jj hardy has a new contract and he will, he will also not be part of uh, contract crowdsourcing for that reason right you're whittling your list down. Yes, it's very nice. We're down to 55 yeah. now. I'm trying to re- fight. I took out Kyle Kendrick, but I also took out Chris Capuano. Okay. I figured Both that... fair. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fair. So 55 yeah. we have left. Okay. We have to cut down five more. Uh, uh, JJ Hardy um, has been pretty much a slightly above average uh, shortstop for you know, maybe not since his rookie season, but since uh, 2007. Yeah, but he's slightly above average in a different way now. He used to hit for a lot of power and mm-hmm. was a, a good hitting shortstop, and now he has lost some of that power and is not as good a hitter as he used to be, mm-hmm. but he's a really good defensive shortstop, and so now he's a, a three-win player based mostly on his glove. Now, has he become a better defender? Yes. Oh, he has. Okay. I mean, at least by the metrics. By the well, metrics. You know, right. Depending on whether you want to put 100% stock into them, that's up to you. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, here's the thing. You, know, you say he's got a lost power. He had 25 home runs last year, but only nine this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, this might be a question for Jared Cross or Dan Zaborski, who um, run their own projections. But do you have a sense of what that – I mean, in, in almost as many plate appearances, he basically hit, you know, a third of the home runs. Or uh, do you have a sense of what of that is real and what isn't? Uh, I mean, I'm guessing he's probably going to hit more than nine next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess, I mean, if I was projecting JJ Hardy's home run total next year, it would be like 14 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe closer to nine than 25, but not nine. Okay, all right. And um, the Royals, uh, Dave Cameron, I believe, as of today, uh, still maintain the uh, the highest chance of winning the World Series of any team? Well, not only that, they are more likely than all of the other teams combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so it's, many. And that is, I told, uh, I, I have, a, uh, have met recently a Royals fan, I told him that, and he, despite the fact that, of course, he very much wants them to win, he, he was he was skeptical. But Yeah, probably, I think, uh, you know, our projections uh, have engendered a lot of skepticism when it comes to the Royals, because our projections really like the Royals. Uh, which seems odd, given that they were probably the worst team of the playoff teams in the regular season. And and so, uh, and I know you wrote about it, but if you were to distill the, uh, that that piece into a couple sentences about what has changed, I, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about uh, tw- playing 29 other teams. We're talking about playing uh, one very specific team in the Orioles, and then a combination of one or the other two teams in the National League. So is it a question of opposition, or is it something else? No, I mean, I think if you look at the Royals' overall projections based on their their steamer forecasts, it has them as the fourth-best team in baseball, like right there with the Dodgers, like almost in the top three. So this isn't uh, a case where the Royals are just, like, the best of a weak crop. This is the the steamer projections think the Royals are actually a very good team. Uh, It mostly boils down to the fact that Billy Butler and Mike Moustakas 
uh, were terrible for the Royals this season, combined for uh, basically replacement level production, and Steamer sees them as uh, average or better players, uh, as he's Alex, Eric Hosmer is significantly better than he performed this year. So it's kind of uh, agreeing with the sentiment of what the Royals thought they had in their young core that didn't actually produce that way in the regular season. But if you take, you know, all of their other pieces who are actually useful, I mean, they have a good supply of quality role players and guys like Lorenzo Cain and Alcides Escobar, and, you know, their pitching is uh, good, led by uh, some very good relievers. They have a good supporting cast. If you actually think their kind of core players are good and not bad like they performed this year, uh, then this is a very good team. The... um Billy Butler's interesting. Well, Mustakas is interesting because um, it seems as though he's under the impression he's only allowed to homer in the ninth inning or later at this point. And only in the postseason. Yeah, right. I don't know if – I mean, was it just – is it the, one of the rules the Royals have played with all year is you can only homer in the ninth inning or later? And it's uh, it's becoming more important here now that we've uh, hit the – Hit the playoffs? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe like the, all the steroids in baseball that have been stopped being used found their way to Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, because Kansas City and St. Louis, who did not hit homers at all in the regular season, have gone bananas in the postseason, yeah. uh, which is kind of one of these like fun little thought experiments of like, you can't, you're not going to be able to prove this certainly, uh, and you know, based the, the October, uh, results are too, too small of a sample and too random in order to say this is the definitive way, but we know that hitting home runs are somewhat random. Uh, you know, there's a difference between a 370 foot home run and a 365 foot out, but, you know, it's not a dramatic difference in launch speed and exit angle and all those things to turn it out from a home run. There is some randomness involved, uh, with the pitch you get and the weather and how well the ball's carrying that day. So if you have a team that is excellent at everything except for hitting home runs, and then you get to October and you kind of fluke your way into hitting home runs, you're going to be really hard to beat uh, because, you know, based on some randomness going in your favor, now you're good at the thing you weren't good at all season, but you may still be good at all the other things that having low home run hitters allow you to be good at. Is that a strategy upon which to assemble a roster? I mean, I wouldn't say that your goal should be to not hit home runs in the regular season and then hope that you hit them in October, but I do think when you're deciding – uh, how to build your strengths and weaknesses, you can maybe say that uh, having a, a low home run team allows you to have good speed, good defense. Maybe maybe you allocate more of your money to pitching. You can have strengths in other places, which are maybe not as random in a single game outcome. Uh, yeah. And if you play, you know, really solid defense and you have good pitching and you steal a lot of bases, you can manufacture a couple of runs. And then if you if your guys hit a few balls over the fence, all of a sudden you're scoring five or six to go along with your good defense and your good pitching, uh, and now you're tough to beat. And it should be noted, too, uh, of course, you're probably paying less for speed and defense than you are for home runs. Correct. Is I think right? the, the the power is the most over overpriced thing in the market, so if you're not buying power, you should be able to buy more of other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that uh, you know every team that gets in the postseason without hitting home runs is going to start hitting them in October. Uh, but you know, if you do, good for you. Right, and then it probably bodes well for your chances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, then you have done it, Dave Cameron. Congratulations. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, so we'll say thank you to you. You're welcome. Yep. That is uh, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Zestuli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.